You know, we lost our, we had Layla, our English Mastiff, about a month ago ran away for about three days. And Jason came home and he said, uh, well, Layla's coming home today, Dad. And I mean, we have exhausted. And I said, she is? He said, yeah, we talk about it in children's church. And, and you know, the Bible says if two or three agree, God has to do it. So, <laughs> and so help me if he didn't said those words. And I told Elizabeth, Elizabeth was leaving to go somewhere. And I said, I want to find my dog today. And she said, honey, I don't think it's happening. And I said, well, you need to change your... You need to change your confession. Remember, walking out of the bedroom door, I said, you need to change that confession. So help me if I didn't look down and some random guy on Facebook said, uh, your dog's over off of Cotton Gin Road, this Melvin. <laughs> I didn't know who Melvin was. It, call me. And I'm like, well, Melvin, I don't know you. What's your number? But thanks. And anyways, we wound up getting Layla just a few few weeks later. So um, she, he said, Joy said, we're finding that dog today. So I know we're finding it. And we prayed and, you know, it wasn't where two or three gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst. It was, if you gather together and agree, God has to do it. <laughs> you know? It's that kind of childlike faith that moves mountains. That's what Jesus said, except you become like a little child, you can't see the kingdom of God, let alone enter it. Why? Because children are completely uninhibited. And I'm going to tell you something else about a child. They have to be taught the concept of death. They're not born with it. They have to be taught the concept of fear. They're not born with that either. And that's why Jesus said, except you become as a little child, childlike, child-minded. The kids thought nothing whatsoever of coming and sitting on this rabbi's lap. They didn't think anything of it, you know. This is cool. He's telling us a story. Let's listen. You know, you had the disciples, ah, get away, get away, get away. And the religious hypocrites, oh, well, don't let the children, they still do it in 2020 don't, or 2021. Don't let the kids participate in church. And their teenagers like, I don't know why my kid don't participate in church. You train them that way, dummy. Did I say dummy? Ah, goodness. If you train them that way, that's what exactly what you expect to get. Now, shh, quiet, quiet, be quiet. We're trying to worship. Would you shut up? Quiet, quiet, quiet. And then they're teenagers. I don't know why my kid won't participate in worship. That's what you taught them. But if you teach them to engage in the presence of God, if you teach them to be comfortable in the presence of God, and if you teach them, by the way, the most valuable lesson you'll ever teach your child is to hear and trust the voice of God within them. Most powerful thing you'll ever teach them. And if you teach them that, I promise you, they'll move mountains. <clears throat> Today I'm going to talk about prepare the way. And I have talked on this theme before, but there's a lot of new things that the Lord has given me over the past uh, little while that I've added to. Because the, the subtitle you'll be very familiar with, Cultivating the Atmosphere of Expectation. Prepare the way, cultivating the atmosphere of expectation. I believe in the power of a word. I believe in the manner in which it is communicated and the tone in which it is communicated. I believe the right word given at the right time can set the tone for an entire year and possibly even an entire lifetime. It is with that in mind and with the start of a new year that I want to give this word today. In the earth, we plant seeds in a garden. In the kingdom, our words are seeds. Sown deep into the fertile soil of our souls. I want to sow a word into you today. Is anybody going to open up your heart and say, here we are. We're a plowed garden. You know, there's an old saying, Judah plows. Judah was a plowman. Judah, if you look up the word Judah, Judah, in the, in the original, it means praise. And so what happens while we're praising is, the, is sometimes the hardened ground, the hardened soil of your soul becomes uh, 
plowed up and, and ready to receive the seed of the word. That's why there is this thing where we worship and praise God first. Really, we praise and then we worship and then we enter into glory. That's the pattern of the house. Praise first, then worship, and then glory comes. Uh, when we praise, we're plowing up the garden of your heart, the garden of your soul, uh, the soil of your soul, so that you can receive the seed, which is the word of God. And if you'll receive it, if you'll open up your hearts and soils today, a soil of your soul and receive the word today, you leave changed. You will absolutely, and if you, if you will cultivate the seed, not the ground and, and, and tend to the seed, then I can promise you, you will receive a, har- or receive a harvest from what's being said today. It'll change your life. A word that will produce a bountiful harvest. I believe we have come to a place in God. I'm going to read through my notes, and I'm going to read the Scripture, and then I'm going to prophesy. And then just before uh, we leave, I'm going to pray for anybody that wants prayer. I, the Lord said, you need to lay hands on today. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. I believe we've come to a place in God where the reality of the heavenly realm is superimposing itself upon our daily lives. I'm not sure if it's coming, the kingdom is coming, or if our awareness of it is growing, or maybe both. But I do know that the glory of God is ready to burst upon us and within us like the rising of the morning sun. It must be that way because we will always reflect, or become, we will always reflect the kingdom of which we're most aware. It's as we steward the glory of God, it's natural for there to be an atmosphere of expectation everywhere that we go. When we start living from expectation instead of for or towards expectation, and we realize that our true identity as sons and daughters of God and joint heirs with Christ, then every place that we go and every time that we speak, we will expect to see manifestation. There was not one time... Here's your, here's your Bible for this. Not one time that Jesus ever spoke without expecting to see a manifestation of his spoken word. He would say things like this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's within your grasp. It's within your reach. The kingdom of God comes not with observation. Comes not with observation. That, that means two things. You're not going to look up one day and see the kingdom come, one. And two, it doesn't come with observing, observation, observing the old covenant laws and, and, and all of the, the laws and things that were given to Moses. No, it, it, it's at hand. It's within you. The kingdom of God is within you. And the kingdom comes in the same way that the king came in seed form. Jesus did not come and reveal the fullness of the kingdom. Jesus came and sowed the seed of the kingdom in the earth and, good God Almighty, and expected, fully expected to see a bountiful harvest of that seed. And he's still seen it, and it is an ever expanding, ever growing kingdom. The Bible says uh, of the end of, or, or, or of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there would be no end. It would always be increasing. There should be an expansion, an exponential expansion of the manifestation of the king and the kingdom in your life. And if there's not, then your question needs to be, is it not happening or am I just simply unaware of something that is so longing to manifest through me? God wanted to fully express himself to us and yet we could not, we, we weren't reconciled to him. God did not need to be reconciled to us. God never changed or left his first estate. It was man that needed to be reconciled back to God. And so through the law and the prophets, they saw glimpses and pieces and, and, and pictures of God, but they are always incomplete. And God said to fully reconcile man back into myself, they're going to have to be able to see me in a form they understand. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap 
myself up in flesh just like them, and I'm going to let them hear my voice and see my face, feel my touch, and I'm going to leave that same seed, that same spirit that fills my body, I'm going to put it inside of them. And that's exactly what he did. Every single time, hello, Jesus. Every single time Jesus spoke, he was expecting a manifestation and was actively releasing heaven into the earth. Every time he spoke. He cultivated that in this way. With constant, unbroken communion with the Father. Chew this. Jesus did not just come, sleep all the time, wake up and say, you know, I'm God, so I just say what I want to say. This is, if Jesus had done things only as God, then we would stand back and cheer and say, this is so good. This is so awesome. And yet it would be no different than what they had seen in, when, when God was performing miracles in the Old Testament. But Jesus did everything that he did as a son with perfect communion with his father. Because he is the pattern son. Was it George Warnock that wrote the book, The Pattern Son? Is that who it was? It, it, I think it was, or it may have been, um, it may have been uh, Britain. It was Bill Britton, The Pattern Son. Jesus was not just the, the only begotten Son of God and, and secluded to be the only Son ever. Jesus is called the firstborn among many brethren. Which is to say, what's true to be said about Jesus' relationship with the Father should also be true about other sons that ha- and daughters that have the same relationship with the Father. He came to show us, and that's why he said, Father, make them one, even as we are one. As I am in you and you are in me. Make them one. This is the key. It's unbroken communion with the Father. Did you know that that's what, that's what Adam had in the garden in the beginning? I preached the message. Go get the CD or go get the podcast called The Calling Garden. The, the garden. And God planted a garden eastward in Eden. The name of the garden is not Eden. The garden was planted in Eden. Eastward in Eden. Eastward in Eden. These things are said for a specific reason. It doesn't just say God so planted a garden called Eden. And God planted a garden eastward. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't speak a garden. He planted a garden eastward in Eden. Which way is the, which way, if you wanted to go into the temple and the tabernacle of Moses, what gate is it that swings wide open for all to see? The eastern gate. Where, what, from what gate does the sun rise? There's a reason that these things are said. I don't want to get too deep into these things, but there's a reason. And God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And God and Adam had unbroken communion so much that he said, Adam, I tell you what, boy, you go name the animals. And Adam began to name one by one the animals. And the father did not have to be convinced or to acquiesce to Adam's will. Adam was in such communion with father that when he said, that'll be a lion, the father would say, that's exactly what I was going to say. Or he would say, that'll be a sheep. And the father would think, that's exactly what I was going to say because there was this unbroken communion with father and son that is still the pattern that is still that's what heaven really is that's what paradise is really about it's not about your mansion just over in glory and I hope you get it please don't get mad at me I know people care more about a house your your, your temple that you live in is going to hell in a handbasket but you hope you get a nice house when you die that's okay and I hope you get it and I wrote a song years ago I, I don't need a mansion on a hill in the by and by I don't need to walk some golden highway all across the sky I don't care if I ever get a, a jasper or go sailing through the air just promise me one thing when I get to where I'm going Jesus will be there the point of it is unbroken communion with the father and if you have unbroken communion with the father you don't have to die someday to get some nice house you 
and I don't want to, I don't want to get off on a tangent there, but that, that, that version of the gospel, it was so prevalent uh, a few hundred years ago because it was preached to very poor people. And they wanted to lift their, their hope for something bigger and better. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just not the gospel. Jesus literally never in his life, one time, never said, if you get saved, I'll give you a house and glory. The closest thing he said to that was after his resurrection, he says, I go to the Father because in my Father's house are many mansions. That word mansions is not big fat houses. It's literally apartments. Compartments if you want to look up the Greek. In my Father's house, are, and I go to prepare you a place. Not, not I go to prepare a place. I go to prepare you a place. What he was doing was preparing you to be the place where his spirit would dwell. You are the mansion. And I hope you get your house, honest to God. I mean, honestly, I hope one day you... But, you know, Bill Gates could afford that now. Jeff Bezos could have streets of gold right now. Well, what are you going to tell somebody that's got money? How are you going to convince them that, you know, if you'll say the magic prayer one Sunday, you know, and live good and, and don't drink or smoke or cuss or chew or hang around with those that do. That's actually a, a saying that was said so many times in church, make you puke. Now, you're a hypocrite because all you do is preach for money and you don't really care about the people, but for God's sake, don't touch a cigarette or you go to hell. People, they used to say dumb stuff like, well, smoking won't send you to hell, but it'll make you smell like you've already been. Pious, religious, mean people. No wonder nobody wants to come to your church except people that are terrified. And the only reason they give money is to pay their fire insurance because you scare them every week. Pay my fire insurance so if I do die, I mean, I get my mansion. Seriously, how has the gospel of the kingdom digressed to this? I'm telling you how. What I'm trying to tell you is that's not the gospel. The gospel, the gospel of the kingdom was Jesus saying, look boys, do you see what's happening? These works and greater shall you do. How could we possibly? You're the son of God. That's exactly the point. You're also sons and daughters of God. Even to those who believed on his name. He came into his own. This is John chapter 1. But his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to be called the children of God. Sons and daughters of God. To be co-equal with Jesus. Not that we're ever little Jesuses. He's always the Prince of Peace. He's always the King. And we're not little Jesuses, but we do bear the name Christ. And we are joint heirs with Christ and heirs of God. By His choice. So no, we're not little Jesuses, but do we have the same authority? Of course you do. Does the Holy Spirit dwell within you? If the, if the same Spirit, my God, that caused the dead, cold, lifeless body of Jesus to breathe in that fresh breath and become the firstborn among the dead, if the same Spirit dwells in you, He will quicken your mortal body. Paul tried to make it clear they wouldn't hear what he had to say. Or maybe they couldn't. And you can. And you better He cultivated, he, he cultivated his constant communion with con, his, because he had constant unbroken communion with the Father. That's the key. Unbroken communion with the Father. It's waking and living every moment with a what's next, Papa type of attitude. What will God do next? Or better yet, what can we co-create? You heard me say last week, and I've said it before. The very first picture that we ever get of God, in the beginning, God created. And then, in the same, the same book, several verses down, and God made man in his image and after his likeness. What was the first likeness of God that we ever see in the book? In the book of the beginnings, the Genesis. 
in the beginning God created, which is to say, if we're made in His likeness, innately within us is the ability, not only the ability, but the response ability to create. You're put here to create something. And you might like it and you might not, but every time you open your mouth, you are creating a world and you'll live in it. The Bible says, uh, by His words, the worlds were framed. And by your word, your world is framed. If you have that whole stinking woe is me attitude, you're going to live a, in a woe is me world. But if you wake up every morning, Papa, what's next? What can we do? Who can we heal today? Who can we bless today? Who can, I mean, if you wake up with that kind of, who can we encourage today? Who can I be around just to release the goodness of your kingdom and the glory you're face upon? If you wake up with that type of attitude, that's the life you live. It's your choice. I said before now, uh, life and death, blessing and cursing. You know the book. God, I hope you do. What will he do through me? It's filled with the weight of eternal possibility. And our big God is notorious for doing big things. And he has chosen in his sovereignty to work with us to accomplish his plan in the earth. He is the God of what we consider impossible. Now listen, the atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for the miraculous. I've said it for years. It's a tagline and it's been copied for years now, but I said it first. I did. The atmosphere of expectation is the breeding grounds for the miraculous. Why is nobody writing that down? Write down. What happened to the good old days when you used to take notes? It's called a phone. Oh, she's recording it. That's a good girl. The, Abby's got, the atmosphere of expectation. The atmosphere. The, this, 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 atmos, this atmosphere. This sphere, this place full of life, full of that. This is, this is where I cultivate. And I live in this place. And I'm always expecting. I'm always looking for the kingdom. I'm always expecting. And when I live in this atmosphere of expectation, then I'm literally breeding. I'm in the breeding grounds of the miraculous. It is the byproduct of living in the glory of God. Did you know that miracles were never the purpose of Jesus' ministry? It was the byproduct of him releasing God's nature. Think about this. If you're fully healthy, fully wealthy, fully well and all that stuff, you don't need miracles. I was taught this by Bishop Charles Johnson years ago. You only need the miraculous in a place that's suffering. We went to India and I saw people, I saw, I saw full grown men, not quite as big as me, but my size with a head this big. I saw one man with two noses. I'd never seen him like it in my life. It was weird. Like, boy, I bet he can breathe good. I did. I thought, you know, how, he got to buy a double dose of nasal strips if he gets stopped up. Those people need the miraculous. But if you're fully healthy, fully wealthy, the, the miraculous is not the purpose. It's the byproduct. And that's why, that's why Jesus said a wicked and perverse generation seeks after signs. We're not supposed to follow after signs. They're supposed to follow those that believe. Why? Because as you, as you build this atmosphere of expectation, you release the miraculous. You release the presence of God. And in the presence of God is fullness of joy. And there can be no sin, curse, or sickness. It can't exist in His presence. So if you're walking, emanating the presence of your Father, letting the glory of the Father that is within you be released, no sickness can stay. It's the byproduct of your presence. See, in the, in the earth, nothing happens until you say something. But in the heavenly realm, the thought produces the action.
So it's no longer okay to continue doing church as usual. It is high time that we begin building, cultivating, building an atmosphere of expectation. Listen to me, and it starts in your home. It does not start here. <coughs> you can get the idea for it here. You can have an awakening, an epiphany. A light can come on here and say, oh, and I hope to God that's happening. It looks like on top of your head, some of you, you got smoke coming out of your ears. You're listening so hard. It happens in your home. It has to start there. It cannot be confined to the four walls of the church building. A woman can't get, be pregnant one day a week and expect to give birth to a healthy baby. The atmosphere of expectation must be cultivated daily and it must be nourished daily. This is what separates, listen to me, don't miss this. This is what separates the great things of God, the great moves of God, and the great men of God from the ordinary. The only difference between ordinary and extraordinary is the extra. That's a principle from the kingdom of heaven all the way down to the earth. The only thing that separates that which is extraordinary from ordinary is extra. You've got to put in some effort. You've got, Jesus had to put in effort. Jesus literally would pull himself away from preaching to crowds. And people would come to worship and fall at his feet and pour oil on his feet. And jewels. he had jewels from the time he was a, a little child. And he would pull away from all of that to go alone because his treasure was being alone with the Father. He found something there, this communion, this perfect communion. In fact, that's what he prayed when he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What was the cup? Was it this vengeful wrath that God had? No. The wrath at the cross didn't come from God. It came from man on God. God was murdered at the cross, but we'll leave that for another time. The Bible says God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world from his death. We, most people, in the, especially in the United States, believe in something called penal substitutionary atonement. It, where, where, where God had to kill his son. To, that's, but, but really, go study, go study another theory. It'll probably do you a lot of good. It's called Christus Victor. Just go look it up where Jesus actually is Christ. And everything that God did, he didn't do to Jesus. He was doing in Jesus to redeem mankind back to himself. Christus Victor, in my opinion, is so much more powerful than the penal substitutionary, substitutionary atonement that most of us have been taught. That's an elementary understanding of a kingdom principle, and they do not reconcile. But anyways, that's for... Bible students that actually want to study some things. This is what separates the great things of God, the great moves of God, and the great men of God from the ordinary. We live and walk and move in the atmosphere of expectation. That heavenly realm where all things are done, yet constantly are expanding within us. The difference between the ordinary and the extraordinary is the extra. When men get a glimpse of the realm to come, it is natural for that, man, that realm to begin to manifest here. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Now. Not some glad morning. Now. You know, the enemy really doesn't care what you believe as long as you put it off until tomorrow. He doesn't care if you believe in the resurrection of the dead as long as you believe it's tomorrow. Even Mary and Martha. You remember when Lazarus was dead? And Jesus said, look. Look, I'm here. And they're saying, but if you had come, if you had come, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said, I, 
I am the resurrection and the life. You, you, I, me. This, and she said, I know that my brother will rise again at the last day. They had the same problem 2,000 years ago that we got today. I know some glad morning. Someday I'll be free of sin and sickness and disease. Someday when I, when I, you know, get my wings and fly, I'll fly away into it. No, no, no. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Which is to say, whether it was yesterday, today, or tomorrow, when the I am is present, the resurrection is present. You don't have to wait for a resurrection as an event. The resurrection is a person. He didn't, I, I didn't come to give resurrection. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I have it. He said, I am. You're looking at resurrection. He's saying, in my presence, death can't stay. In fact, he had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he had simply said, come forth, every dead thing that had ever been would have got up full of life. He had to specify Lazarus. Well, that's good preaching. That's good preaching. My God. Expectation is the mother of manifestation. Without a right, healthy expectation, the great plan for your future will be aborted. Don't tell me it doesn't happen. Don't tell me it doesn't happen. I've seen more people, I've seen more people whose purpose in God was aborted because they had no expectation, they would put nothing into it. I see it. it. It's happening all around. Look around. It doesn't take very far. You can look with, within six degrees of separation. You'll find somebody that, oh, my God, the purpose for God, the purpose of God in his life or in her life has been aborted. Probably because they weren't properly fathered or they walked away from their father or, or mother. Probably because they didn't have a prophetic voice like the angel that came to Mary declaring something over their life and stayed with it and did what Mary did and pondered in her heart what be these things. But it can happen. I don't want that to happen for you. You're not going to walk out of here and magically you're going to walk around. There's a miracle here, a miracle there. No, you must cultivate this. And it does take time. And it does take. It is no longer okay to do church as usual. I'm sorry. Expectation is the mother of manifestation. Without a right, healthy expectation, the great plan for your future will be aborted. However... As you lay hold on to the power of expectation and master the art of expectation, birthing the supernatural into the now will become natural. This is, this is loaded with goodies. It's, I'm telling you, it's loaded with goodies. It really is. Every time that I go over this again, the Lord just dumps. And I feel like I need just to write a book about, about the cultivating an atmosphere of expectation. Now, I probably will at some point. God is a moving God. In Genesis, when God was about to create everything that was going to be in the earth, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. This is a picture of the earth. This is a picture of Mary's virgin womb. What? There's a parallel between Genesis 1 and John chapter 1. There's a parallel between the dark, void, barren earth and the dark, void, virgin womb of Mary. And the dark, void, virgin womb of my heart. Yep, that's the picture. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And that light was the good God Almighty. 
in the beginning was the Word, and words were with, with you, you read Genesis 1, you read John 1. It's a perfect parallel. The what, be, earth was a barren womb. Mary had a, had a virgin womb, and you have, a, you have an unadulterated virgin heart, virgin soul that God gave you, and He wants to fertilize it with the possibility of the supernatural. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Before God spoke and created, he moved. Before God spoke and created, he moved. He is a moving God. The word move in Hebrew means, is, the, is, the, is the word rokoff. It's a primitive root. It means to brood, to flutter, to move, to shake. When we sing songs like spirit move or talk about the moving of the spirit, we say it as a buzzword or a catchphrase. But the moving of the spirit, listen, was always intended to precede the miraculous creative. The moving of the Spirit was always intended to precede the miraculous creative. Which means every time you walk into this facility or any place and the Spirit of God begins to move, you should immediately be prompted to be creating something. To open your mouth and say, I refuse to walk out the way that I came in. I refuse to remain broken where I've been broken. I refuse to remain sick. It's not my job to do that. It's your ability as co-creators with God. When the Spirit begins, that's the pattern. The Spirit moves and then He speaks and then things are created. It's the same pattern today when God, listen to me, this is, the, this is called the principle of first mention. It's the first time it's ever mentioned that God's spirit moves and then his mouth speaks and boom, there's creation. You ain't going to get this across the street, I can promise you. You better be listening to me. When you feel the moving of the spirit, it's the, that's the time you open your mouth. When his spirit moves and it's brooding and you can feel it and it's not just, it's not just a heebie-jeebie or a goose pimple, but you know this is the spirit of God here. This is the spirit of the living God. Then you open your mouth and immediately there, that is the, the, the marriage between his moving spirit and your spoken word causes creation, causes the miraculous to happen. I could say it this way and I hope... Yeah, what God did when he spoke is he thrust his phallic word into the virgin womb of nothing and created everything that is. It's what he does now when his spirit moves. Boom, then there should be a word spoken. And when that word's spoken, it fertilizes the seed of, the, of impossible. And impossible becomes possible. Whew. That's good. That is, I'm going to give myself an offering. Good God Almighty. That money ain't for me. <laughs> Believe me, if I was in this for the money, I'd be in a whole different business. I heard my dad say that for years. My God, I should have listened. I'm going to say it one last time. The moving of the Spirit, I've only, I'm on page 5 of 13, so we're about there was always intended to precede the miraculous creative. The barren earth began expecting the very moment the Spirit began to move and God began to speak. It's a mouthful. feel His presence heavy. The barren earth began expecting, was filled with life the very moment that the Spirit began to move and God began to speak. We think atmosphere is what is set by two fast songs and one slow song. We think expectation precedes good sermons. Expectation is the birthing process. And the atmosphere of expectation is where the great things of God are birthed into creation. You want God to birth something great, but you have no expectation? It will not happen. A woman that is not expecting will never have a baby. 
As we are learning to steward the glory, we must learn to effectively cultivate the atmosphere of expectation. When this is done, we should be seeing fruit. The seed of expectation, properly nourished, produces the fruit of the miraculous. I'm saying the same thing just about 15 different ways. Just trying to drive home a point. The seed of expectation, properly nourished, produces the fruit of the miraculous. That's not new, but it's certainly a foreign concept to most of us in the Western church. We want a social club. Agree with me. It's true. It's okay to admit it. You're just attacking. I'm not attacking anything. If, 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 if revealed light shines a light on some shadows and darkness, that's their problem. That ain't my problem. Preaching the truth by nature offends untruth. Jesus never set out with the sole purpose of offending the Pharisees, and yet every time he spoke, he offended the Pharisees. It wasn't because of his truth. It was because of their hypocrisy. We want social club where we come, pay our dues, glad hand the pastor, and keep paying our fire insurance premiums. I don't want to go to hell. I better tithe. You know, I'll go to hell. I tithe. Who knows? I might wrap my car around the tree on the way out. You never know. How many, you ever heard that story? I don't want to belabor this point. How many times have you heard that story? Has it happened? Yeah, but you never know. I mean, God, I remember I went, I went to call the church. It's a big church here in the States on the other side of town. And we, we used to do concerts all over this place. In fact, uh, was it you and I that were looking at pictures of, oh, it was me and Elizabeth we're talking about. You used to go to uh, Western Avenue, that's not the church, and we'd do their New Year's Eve service, and <laughs> that was the story, because um, she's high maintenance, but, um, but she's really not. But, man, everywhere we went, they would always have a special evangelist, and the guy always seemed to be about 20 or 21, which always sort of confused me, like, this dude, how long does this do to be an evangelist, and what does evangelism mean? By the way, in case you were wondering, here's what evangelism is. The job of the evangelist is not to scare you into heaven. The job of the evangelist is to stir the gifts that are within you. That's the biblical job of the evangelist. Anyways, anyways, the story would always be, God, you should have seen, I mean, just as soon, he could have come to the altar and said the magic prayer and been saved, but he didn't say it. He walked out the door and he got in that car. And man, six miles down the road, he wrapped that car around a tree and he's burning in hell forever. All he had to do was say the magic prayer. And that's evangelism. So what happens is you get a bunch of kids that don't know the truth. And they're like, oh, God, I'm scared to death. I might wreck tonight. If I do, I'm going to burn forever. God's going to put me in this eternal incinerator. Yeah, heck yeah, I'll say the magic prayer. What do I say? Dear Lord, dear Lord, come into my heart, come into my heart. I believe you. And we call that evangelism. That's not evangelism. That's scare tactics. Tony Bunton was famous for saying, if you have to scare someone into the kingdom, you're going to have to keep scaring them and keep them in. Jesus never scared anybody into the kingdom. You can't be scared into the kingdom. You have to be birthed into the kingdom. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. You can always tell a religious spirit gets real offended at truth. It ain't here today. I ain't worried about it. But I'm just saying in general. <laughs> Wrap your car around it. My God. I, I, always have, I literally always, always have the picture of a car, you know, wrapped around a tree, man. People bleeding. So that stuff happens. That's horrible. Do you think that Father looks down from heaven like, man, I almost got him. But he didn't say that magic prayer. And now I'm going to get to burning forever. Think about that. The eternal God of the universe that says, hey, I wanted, I'm going to stand on the Sermon on the Mount. Here is the constitution of the new covenant. This is the Constitution. I'm going to write out the, the, the Declaration of Independence from the Old Covenant. I'm going to write a new Constitution for the New Covenant. And here's how it goes. Love your enemies. Forgive them that abuse you and use you. If a man steals your coat, give him your shirt too. If he begs, with you to, if he begs for you to walk with him, I'll go to, go to with him. Would it? 
I, I want to say this. I know I'm a little risky here. Would it not be the ultimate hypocrisy for God to not forgive his enemies? Just a question. Don't get mad at me. Forgive your enemies. Love them that despitefully use you and abuse you. But now my enemies, I'm going to put them in this incinerator and I'm going to burn them forever. Just something to think about. I'm going to leave that there. This place, not true vine, I'm talking about this place, this earth, this place where we're in this morning is the launching pad for a heavenly encounter for you. Believe that. We must not be afraid of risk. Now, I'm going I'm to skip through some of this because I'm, for the sake of time. And I know most of you say, so, oh, good Lord, it's already 1250. Most of you say, so, like, oh, it's cool, don't worry about the time. But about 1227, everybody's like, man, my God, what in the world? Some of you, when I said I was on page five, you went into the fire right then. We must not be afraid of risk. There's not a whole lot of disappointment if there's not a whole lot of expectation. And that's where a lot of us are. We've lessened our theology to match our experience instead of believing God is who he said he was and cause our experience to match up with the reality of who he is. We must learn to cultivate an atmosphere of expectation and begin taking risks. Believe me, it's risky to speak to a blind person and say, receive your sight. But when we are more aware of this kingdom than the kingdom of heaven, but the risk is in our minds only to the extent that we are aware of this world more than his world. Ooh. The risk is in our minds only and exactly to the extent that we are more aware of natural carnal things than we are of the spiritual world. Which, by the way, the kingdom of heaven that exists within you is the exact same kingdom of heaven that exists around you. Who said yeah? Thank you. Was it Amanda, Rebecca, or Holly One? The, the, the realm of the heavenly, uh, the heavenly kingdom, heavenly spiritual realm. We've got to stop thinking of mansions and kingdoms. We don't even understand kingdoms because we're United States citizens, thank God. And if we are able to keep it, we'll, we'll remain a free republic. But we don't understand kings and kingdoms and things like that because we don't live in that time but, but they understood these things as a matter of practicality it is risky to say to the blind to receive your sight that's why it's so important in an atmosphere like this to begin to move as the spirit moves to engage the realm of expectation the realm of heaven where all things are done I'm just going to read through this and you get what you can get. As we engage in this corporate setting, we are strengthened in our personal lives to engage in the real world. It's okay to come here. It's okay to come here and be. I want you to be refreshed when you leave. I hope to God it's something that said, as he used to say, let us, something that said, sung, or done. It's anything that said, if you walk out, you're encouraging, like I can walk. That's good, but this should not be a filling station. This is not supposed to be the hospital for the broken. This is supposed to be where we come together as disciples of Jesus and tell the wonderful things he's been doing in our lives. That is what the early church did. And then those that were out there that were broken, we come and be made whole. Of course, that's the byproduct, not the purpose. I know I'm stressed. As we engage this corporate setting, we're strengthening our personal lives. We don't necessarily need to get them to church, or as they did in the New Testament, get them to Jesus when they would even tear off the roof of houses. All that stuff's good. But the Spirit was given to you so you could get Jesus to them. He is in you. Let Him begin to move and stir in you and watch the dark, empty, void things burst with creative light. Ephesians 3.20. This is, the, uh, this is uh, ESV. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, according to the power at work within us, 
He's able to do exceedingly, as the King James says, abundantly above. More than we could ask or even think. We can't even comprehend. Get your hopes up. Lift your head up. Be looking and expecting. The only thing separating you from your heart's desire is time and expectation. But just ask the pregnant woman. The countdown to manifestation begins once the seed gets in you. It's going to sell too. I'm going to sell a book. Wait and see. Expectation always precedes manifestation. So receive the word. Receive the seed of God, which is and has always been his word. Carry your expectation to manifestation and don't abort the process. Your baby is coming. Your dream is coming. Your new day has dawned. God's dream for you is just on the other side of the river called expectation. Stop managing expectation and get your hopes up. Now I'm going to read to you prophetically from Isaiah chapter 60. Because the Lord said to me this morning, read that to him and prophesy it over him. I said, I'm happy to do it. So here it is. And this is from the Passion Translation, which they're finally starting to get. Thank God Brian is finally getting busy doing some of the Old Testament. Because I love, love, love the Passion Translation. 60 60 verse 1, rise up in splendor and be radiant. The King James, this is the one that says, rise and shine for your light has come. I love that Bill Johnson says, it says arise and shine, not arise reflect. But anyways, rise up in splendor and be radiant for your light has dawned. Now when I'm speaking this over you, I want you to hear it. I want you to receive it as seed going into your soul. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you corporately. I'm talking to you individually. So as I speak this next sentence, this is the word of God, the literal word of God being spoken in your life. If you receive it and, and let this seed go, it will produce a harvest. Rise up in splendor and be radiant for your light has dawned. Forget 2020. And Yahweh's glory now streams from you. Look carefully. Darkness blankets the earth and thick gloom covers the nations. But Jesus, Yahweh, the Father arises upon you and the brightness of his glory appears over you. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light and kings to the sunrise glory of your new day. Lift up your eyes higher. Look all around you. Eli, now. Look all around you and believe for your sons are returning from far away and your daughters are being tenderly carried home. Watch as they gather together eager to come back to you. Then you will understand and be radiant. Your heart will be thrilled and swell with joy. The fullness of the sea will flow to you and the wealth of the nations will be transferred to you. Caravans of camels will cover your land. Young camels loaded with goods from Midian and from Ephah. All the wealthy merchants from Sheba will come bearing gold and frankincense we know about that and singing the praises of Yahweh this is speaking not just of Jesus but it's speaking of you all the flocks of Kadar will be gathered to you and the rams of Neboeth uh, will be yours as acceptable sacrifices upon my altar and I will adorn with more glory uh, my glorious temple. Who are these that soar like the clouds, flying like doves into their portals? Indeed, the distant islands eagerly look for me with their large ships leading the way. They are bringing Zion's children from afar. They come with offerings of silver and offerings of gold to honor the name of Yahweh, your God, the righteous one of Israel, for he has and will glorify you. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you, even though I punish you in my anger. 
I will restore you in my gracious favor and I will show you tender compassion. Your gateways will always remain wide open around the clock to let in the procession of kings bringing their constant streams of riches from the nations. The nation or kingdom that refuses to serve you will perish and be utterly ruined. Lebanon's glory will be yours. The cypress, the fir, and the pine will come to you to the beautiful to beautify the site of my holy place. I will glorify the place where I rest my feet. The descendants of your oppressors, we come bowing low before you, and all who hated you will bow down at your feet. They will call you the beautiful city of the Lord your God, the glorious Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Although you were once rejected and you were once despised, undesirable for anyone to pass you through, I will make you majestic forever, a source of joy for every generation. You will guzzle the milk of nations and suck at the breast of kings. You will know me intimately that I am Yahweh, your Savior, for I, the Mighty One, Hero who rules over Jacob's tribes, am your kinsman redeemer. I will replace your copper with gold, your iron with silver, your wood with copper, and your stone with iron. I will install peace and prosperity as your government and righteousness as your overseer. Threats of violence will no longer be heard in your land, nor will destruction and ruin be found within your borders. Your name will be your wall, or your, you will name your wall salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no longer be needed to brighten the day, and apparently the lights in this building, nor the moon at night to light the way, for Yahweh himself will be your unfailing light, and your God will be your glory. There will be no more sunsets or new moons for Yahweh himself will be your everlasting light and your days of sadness will be over all your people will be righteous and will permanently possess the land I planted them there as a tender sapling the work of my own hands to display my glory I will multiply the least of you into a thousand and the weakest one into a mighty nation I am Yahweh your God and when the right time comes I will accomplish it swiftly thank you Jesus Somebody put your hands together and thank the Lord for his word.